The views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations. We are speaking uh, sexual misconduct of uh, healthcare professionals and it, it is something that's quite alarming, shocking and rife in South Africa. A-teamers, I'd love for you to interact with us on this one, especially if you are a healthcare uh, professional or you have been a victim of such. Call in, let's see how we can hold hands and work towards fighting this and ensuring that we are all safe, uh, especially when we're at our most vulnerable, because no one goes into a hospital or into a, a clinic or into a doctor's rooms and they're feeling all tipsy, you know, and happy and I'm okay. You go in there feeling physically ill and then you get taken advantage of. I mean, we've heard of cases of children and the likes uh, experiencing traumatic things under the hands of healthcare professionals. 011-714-2006 is the number to dial or SMS 41391. WhatsApps go to 0614104107. Our guest, Dr. Miriam Khan, is on the line. Dr. Miriam Khan is a registered natural medicine doctor with a master's degree focusing on sexual and reproductive health and rights and its intersections with the gender and religion. Dr. Khan, thank you very much for joining us. Hi Patricia, how are you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm okay, but now this topic we are going to be discussing, yeah, it's a very serious, it's a, not a laughing matter. I mean, I'm looking at some of um, the articles that, uh, you know, you've shared with us, 11 uh, harassment cases reported in uh, clinics across and hospitals across uh, Gauteng last year alone. But not only that, in KZN, there's some inappropriate behavior and sexual misconduct that has been reported. Um, in in, in uh, the Eastern Cape, there are isolated incidents that have happened. A toddler was uh, raped in hospital in Pretoria um, while in COVID-19 isolation. This, just, this is upsetting. Very upsetting. And these are the reported cases, Patricia. So oh. there are, I'm sure, several cases that go unreported. Oh. What causes those who have taken an oath to uphold life and to help, what causes them to end up being in a position where they are the rapists, they are the ones molesting uh, vulnerable people who are sick? You know, Patricia, that that would be a multi-layered question, and so obviously, the you know the answer itself would be multi-layered. But just to understand that the dynamics of the relationship between a doctor and patient is imbalanced, no matter whether you see it like that or not. So whether you understand it to be imbalanced or not, it is imbalanced by virtue of the fact that you know when you go, as you said earlier in the intro, when you go to see the doctor, you're either mentally or physically ill. And you go there for the kind of information that you don't have, the knowledge that they have, and that knowledge alone is power. Besides the knowledge, it's also their position, their standing in society. Um, you tend to put them on a pedestal as well. Uh, and you see, like, I'm, I'm distancing myself as them, so you tend to put us. I should, you know, incorporate, you know include myself here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, such a, it's such a difficult topic. I'm deliberately distancing myself from the profession as it is. Um, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, besides the oath that we take, it's, it's, it's character 
And as much as people say, you know, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's a lapse in judgment, you've got to be conscious of that, the dynamics of that relationship at all times, irrespective of your relationship outside of the practice itself with that patient. So say, for example, you are a medical practitioner or any other healthcare professional in a, in a community that you live in. That makes things a little bit more difficult, wouldn't it? Because then you might have, you know, outside of that relationship, you have other ties to the, to the families in that community. And I make it a rule for myself to not consult with family members. It would be, you know, it would be a case where, for example, a family member would have had to gone, had have gone to several healthcare professionals and not seen joy, and then say to me, "Please, won't you help me?" You know, and I've I've been A, B, C. I've been all, to all of these places, and I'm not getting joy here. Um, you know, and based on your expertise or your knowledge, won't you help me? I try to make it a rule not to consult with family members for these particular reasons, because things can go off, they can go blurry, and lines can get blurred, yeah. But now, you know, uh, doctor, when I'm, when I look at an article such as the one that uh, speaks of uh, a male nurse who has been apprehended for allegedly raping um, um, patients in a, a mental hospital, what, what do we say about this? What does the law do about this? Are medical health professionals not given some psychiatric or psychological assessments and, you know, check in to make sure that there are people who are safe to be around? So there are several guidelines that we expected to follow, and there are checks, you know, that, that are put in place. So even healthcare professionals are asked to have a therapist who they check in with to debrief, um, you know, on a regular basis. Or, you know, and you can decide how often you need to see someone based on your workload, your stress levels, your pressure, your personal life. Maybe you have a difficult situation at work, or I'm talking about, you know, in, in a clinical practice um, that you need to, to, de- to debrief. I think that, you know, this, this, situ- this situation is not uncommon where... You have young girls who will come into a facility, usually they are government facilities, and they're already in a displaced position in terms of, you know, they're already there, probably without their parents' knowledge, um, you know, wanting to know whether they're pregnant or not. Maybe they are pregnant and they need to find some kind of solution, so they're considering an abortion or they're considering giving the child up for adoption, whatever. They, they're basically exploring their options. And they are in that very vulnerable position to be abused. And this is not uncommon. We've seen this in KZN as well. We've seen young intern doctors rape 16, 17, 18-year-old girls who've come in for examinations when they're pregnant. What happens to these doctors and nurses who are convicted and found of such atrocious acts? What happens to them would depend on whom you report it to, Patricia. So it depends on the route that you take. If you're going the legal route, then obviously there would be, you know, those implications. If, if you're going to handle it via, for example, the hospital, so the line manager or whoever is, uh, you know, in charge or, you know, under whoever's supervision 
that particular doctor is at the hospital, the hospital will have their own um, you know, process that they follow. And of course, then the Health Professionals Council will have to um, address that matter. So, the, that would, so what happens would depend on how you approach the matter and how you address it. Have any of these uh, medical professionals uh, been uh, struck off uh, the, the, you know, the role? Like, have their licenses taken away forever? Is there a blacklist for them? Or is, is, are they then maybe given a slap in the wrist and they go back into the hospitals and clinics? You'd be surprised. Some of them have actually just moved practice somewhere else and just gone and gotten employed in other facilities. So, you know, it's part of my, my life mission to work towards kind of transparency where we have a register, you know, the way you have a register for sex offenders, where we have a register that should be made available. And people need to, you know, be accountable for their behaviors. If you take on this kind of profession, you're expected to have a certain standard that you live up to. A-team is uh, on our closet conversation. We are being, we are talking about something that's very sensitive, but one that we need to talk about because it is happening. And uh, if we don't talk about it, we don't address it, like Dr. Khan has said, people who are offenders, doctors and nurses end up just moving practices and moving hospitals and clinics and life goes on for them. They still earn their income, but continue marring the lives of many others who come into their practices, whether it's children, elderly people, or even women of, uh, around the same age. Let's talk about it, please. Have you as an A-teamer ever felt uncomfortable in the presence of uh, a healthcare professional, a doctor, a dentist, um, you know, a nurse? And, and if so, what happened? Share that with us and how did you address it? The number to dial is 011-714-2006 or you can WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. SMSs go to 41391. I'm just, I'm concerned about the fact that the reporting channels within hospitals and clinics, especially the uh, public healthcare system, are not very clear and concise and people don't really know where to report for anything in that matter of fact. So I'd love to hear from you, A-teamers. Please do call in. I'm going to go to a message here, Dr. Khan, and it's from De Beers in Kakamas. Um, De Beers says, uh, good evening, Patricia, and your team. Private facilities all over the countries, especially in Namibia and South Africa, those male doctors, they are raping women and children. We know them. But my question to you, De Beers, is if you know them, why don't you report them? Dr. Khan, what are the reporting channels? So like we mentioned, you can go directly to the police, and that would be obviously a criminal offense, so sexual assault, rape. You could also go to the channels that's through the hospital or the clinic facility. You might want to discuss it with that particular doctor's colleague. So it's not, it might not always be safe to take it up with the doctor themselves, but if you feel that there is, you know, if it hasn't reached that point. So I just want to make this point that, you know, whilst we're talking about rape and sexual assault, it doesn't always just start there, right? So it could be something like an inappropriate joke, something about your body, your dressing, uh, maybe the way they look at you, their body language. So there are several levels of sexual misconduct. And it could be something that has built up to rape or sexual assault, 
or it could then just be direct rape depending on the situation. And, you know, we really want people to be able to stop, you know, to, to listen to their instinct, to listen to that voice inside. And if you're not comfortable with a doctor or with a physiotherapist or a dentist, if you're not comfortable with this healthcare professional, we really want you to stop them, voice your concerns. And if you're not, if you feel like you're not being heard, ask for a different professional. You know, you should really trust your gut, trust your instinct, trust that inner voice, and ask for a different healthcare provider. If you have the ability to, you know, you have the right to ask for a different healthcare provider. So if you're at a government facility, you're not at complete, you know, it's not like you don't have a choice. So you can say, I prefer to be seen by a woman doctor, or I prefer to be seen by a different doctor. So either way, whichever works for you, but you have that ability to do that. And I think that it's important to understand the different layers of, of, of misconduct so that you can decide on how you want to address it, whom you want to address it to. If it's, for example, let's start lower on the, on the, on the ladder. Let's start with an inappropriate joke um, or someone brushing their hand on your body inappropriately or leaning in too close to you and you just not, you know, you know that it wasn't part of the physical examination. So then you may take this up with their line manager, you may take it up with um, someone more superior at the hospital. You'd have to be very, very careful that you document everything. So you want to write down and note um, everything that happened, you know, so as much detail as possible that you can share. Uh, part of the process would, that, you know, the hospitals would use would be, uh, or even the police, would be to get as much evidence as possible. So you need to have as much evidence as you can, as possible to share with. So whatever words were exchanged, whatever kind of behavior, um, you know, or, or if it was rape, then you would have to try and share as much as possible with whomever you report to. So you're either reporting to the police station, at the police station, or you're reporting directly at the hospital, and you may follow up then, what are they doing about that? So what are the police doing? They, will, they should and will um, refer you to a therapist or to someone else in terms of a healthcare facility who would be able to examine you and fill out a form and a report for you and write up a report for you. You know, I, I like the question, do you feel safe going to a doctor of the opposite gender? Please let us know, A-teamers. I've got Helen on the line. A-teamer Helen, good evening. Hi, <clears throat> Hi Patri Patricia. Thank you for taking my call. And um, hello to listeners and your expert. I'd just like to share something that happened to me. I, in 2014, at the age of 44, I had a hysterectomy. And I, I went to a very well-known and respected um, gynecologist and surgeon. But, you know, when I went into the rooms and, did the, and he did his examination, I was, uh, you know, there's this, you have this complete trust in your doctor, but there was no nurse present, there was no one else present in the room, and he examined me without gloves, and I, I didn't get a, a sense of it that it was a, there were any sexual overtones, but, you know, you're in this very vulnerable position, and you 
you, you intrinsically trust um, the medical professional, but there was just something not right with the, with the situation. And I've only ever been to two gynecologists, and the other one, um, the, you know, the room was bright, a nurse was present, and it was just a, a completely different experience. Um, anyway, I had the hysterectomy done, and it was a very successful, successful operation, and, you know, he remains a highly respected surgeon. But I just wondered, as a, you know, as a, as a 44-year-old woman, I, I handled it fine. And I thought, you know, is that normal? Is that normal to be in a doctor's rooms with no nurse present and being examined without gloves? And I thought, how many other women have had similar experiences? And I never did anything about it, but I just had this... It always niggled me, and it, and my... You know, it's not, it wasn't a, a sexual assault, but it has. It did speak to what your what your expert has just spoken about. Did speak to me because you know it. What you know, it starts with a joke, or it starts with. And he did. He did touch. Sort of. It was strange. So I just wanted mm. to share that. And I think if women, if if maybe if we can, if women, we can take away from this. What are our rights? Do we have? Should a nurse be present? And does a doctor have to wear gloves when he examines you? Thank you very much, Patricia, for your wonderful show. Thank you very much, um, Helen. Thank you so very much. You know, the one thing, uh, Helen, is that we need to note, even when we say, should a nurse be present? There's a lot of male nurses. So is it another male nurse that you want in the room? Or would you prefer female nurse? You know, at that point, a male nurse wouldn't have bothered Mm. me. I think it's just that other person in the room. It's a witness. Trust me. I don't know if doctors are allowed to examine you without gloves. And, and I'm sure as, a, as an experienced surgeon, maybe he, he can feel better without gloves, but it just didn't feel right. So I don't know if I'm wrong in that. Trust me, I, I would feel absolutely uncomfortable having two males examine me and uh, not having the space, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to feel comfortable. Witness or no witness, I would just see myself as vulnerable. Helen, thank you very much for sharing. And let's thank allow you, Dr. Khan to just weigh in. Dr. Khan, Helen had an experience that just brings shivers down my spine, although she did not, you know, report it, but it made her uncomfortable. Helen, you had every right to be uncomfortable, and I'm glad that the surgery went well, but I'm terribly sorry that you had to experience that. No doctor should do an intimate exam without gloves, period. So he should not have done the examination without gloves. Every doctor should offer a patient, especially a patient in Helen's position, a chaperone in the room. So it will either be a colleague of theirs, or someone that Helen chooses to be in the room. But every patient, especially in that kind of situation with an intimate exam, with an exam that requires some level of removal of clothes, um, should be, every patient should be offered um, a chaperone in the room. And definitely no doctor should be conducting an intimate exam. And that would include even touching your breast and that no doctor should um, do that without a glove. And also the, the, the sexual, you know, undertones. I mean, there's no human being who will not be able to pick them up, even if they are not overt, but you'll pick them up. I remember going uh, for my last uh, checkup. In fact, it was a couple of weeks ago. And I felt the doctor was so dignified. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel uncomfortable at all. It was a male doctor. Um, he said, well, Ms. Ntudli, this is the process. So you're going to have to undress and, you know, we need to check uh, down there because it's an intimate check and um, and he walked out you know he walked out and he waited and said please let me know when you're ready but cover yourself 
um, and he gave me something to cover. And I felt he didn't look and peer in and say, hey, spread wider, you know, let me. I felt comfortable. And when he was done, he walked out and he said, please get dressed. Tell me when you're ready and then we'll discuss. So that's the correct way to handle themselves or ourselves. So you, if you provide, um, so if a patient needs to undress, you provide a place for them to undress, and that place has to be out of view of anyone else, and that includes the doctor or the healthcare professional themselves. Um, you know, unless of course you uh, you want to assess a patient's mobility. Say, for example, a patient is struggling to you know, um, with their fingers, so button, unbutton, that kind of thing. And if you're assessing for that, then you would be watching them to see their range of mobility and other things, right? Then that's completely different. Thereafter, after after they provided you a space to undress without anyone being able to see you, they also need to provide you a gown or something to wear if you have to move from one spot to another in the room so that you're not undressed for that time. Um, they also shouldn't keep you unnecessarily undressed, like, you know, for, for too long a period of time. Um, and they should only keep that part exposed that needs to be examined. So as much of the body covered as possible to make the patient as comfortable as possible. Let me go to anonymous here, but reminding you, A-team, is that we're talking about something very sensitive, and uh, it's the issue of sexual misconduct by healthcare professionals. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, you know, a couple of provinces across South Africa have been reported. Um, Eastern Cape, a nurse was arrested for allegedly sexual assault at a hospital. Um, in Pretoria, a hospital of which I won't mention a name, a toddler was allegedly raped while in isolation uh, with COVID-19. There's a parent who uh, has sued for sexual assault in a casualty in a private hospital in KZN. So there's so many of these cases in our country, but it's almost like we see and hear about them, but we don't really stand against them. Is it because we, we have made our medical health professionals such heroes and we forget that they are also human and they err, and sometimes it's detrimental to us. Maybe that's the reason. Please do call in and let us know what can be done. 0117142006 or WhatsApp 0614104107. Anonymous is holding on the line. Good evening, Anonymous. Good evening to you, Patricia, darling. How are you? Uh, and to your guest as well. I know you complain about your 10, 12 floors claim. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a <laughs> bit better. <laughs> yeah. Shame. I'm sorry about it. But, you know, life goes on. Patricia, mm-hmm. why did you ask those three guys to carry you up? No, you because see. Because they're more energetic than you. So you, the three guys can carry you up Okay, easily. firstly, I, I'm, they mustn't smack me. I'm taller than both of them. <laughs> I'm heavier than both of them. So I don't want them to get broken and bruised and battered. Then we won't have a show. So at least if they're stronger, because now at least they're spoiling me. You know, I'm getting cups of water coming to the studio. You know, they, they're consoling me. So if I break their bags coming up here, how anonymous. But anonymous on the topic. Um, yes, uh, you know, I, I, years gone by, a couple of years gone by, I did an ECG at the hospital, at the local hospital that I normally go to. And uh, this person kept on putting the plugs on the wrong places. He was not concentrating on where to put those plugs, you know, that they put on you to, uh, to get the EC, uh, ECG reading, right, on the, com- on, the, on the computer there that's, you know, on the ECG machine or computer, whatever you may call it. Um, 
Now he, he was more interested in looking at at my personal, my top, my personal, <laughs> my boobs, right, instead of putting that reading. And yet, a few years later, I did it by a female, right, and she did it in five minutes. In few minutes, it was done, and it was so easy. And I didn't feel embarrassed. And if you had to complain to the PRO, the PRO does not give you any feedback. You don't get any feedback from uh, the hospital of the PRO when you lodge any complaints. Because I don't know uh, why they don't give you feedback, but they do open a file. They give you a form to fill. You fill, you, you fill in every information or detail. And then what they do, they, they get the new ladies that come there, you know, who's doing, uh, uh, who's learning uh, about the PRO, uh, you know, who, who's uh, serving internship uh, in the hospital for the PRO, as a PRO. So they, uh, the, the professional, the experienced PRO then gives them the file and ask them to put it sorted out, it's sorted out, it's sorted out. Because I saw them filling the form and uh, put it onto the file, it doesn't go further. It doesn't go to the head office in, in like we have a head office in Peter Madison. It doesn't go to the head office to the, whether to complain about the nurses or whether to complain about the uh, a doctor. It doesn't go any further than that. Sure. Very, very, um, uh, you know, uncomforting to know that you've tried the, you know, reporting process, but it didn't go any further. I mean, if you were that uncomfortable, um, Anonymous, do you feel that you should have, um, you know, maybe gone and opened a case of, um, Uh, or do you you feel it was not You know, when you don't have the money and and the doctors can get an advocate, and you don't have the money. You know, there was one case, a Phoenix case, but the doctor went back on duty because he was found not guilty. He, he did that in everybody knows the doctor's name, and I know the doctor's name too. He, he did that in the Phoenix hospital, in Gandhi's hospital. But then he was working in my hospital, so I asked the person when they told me his name, I said, is he the same person that used to be in the Gandhi's hospital? They told me yes. So I said, what is he doing here? He's not supposed to be on duty. Then I see after a, uh, a month he wasn't there, he left. But he was there for over two years at the hospital, carrying on his duty as normal. Sure. Right? And he had a good advocate. And, 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 you know, when you got money, you got a good advocate, top advocate. You can win anything. Even if you're guilty, you can win. Anonymous, right. thank you for sharing your experience with us. I'm going to go to a break, and from there I'll let uh, Dr. Miriam Khan to weigh in on uh, that. The time is 20 minutes to midnight, so we are not far from Friday. Closet Conversations. Reminding you that no one under the age of 18 should be tuned in as uh, we discuss a sensitive topic, sexual misconduct by healthcare professionals. Our guest is uh, Dr. Miriam Khan. Dr. Miriam Khan is a um, registered natural uh, medicine doctor with a master's degree focusing on sexual and reproductive health and rights and its uh, intersection with gender and religion. Dr. Khan, before the break, uh, Anonymous was sharing her experience with us about one of the state hospitals that she visited for an ECG. And I'm glad that she reported it, but very disappointed that she had no feedback. And I'm not sure what the process in that particular hospital would be, but the other route would be to directly contact the Health Professions Council of South Africa. So if you're not getting any joy from the hospital itself or the facility itself, the next level of, you know, of, of or the next route would be to directly, in fact, I think you should do that simultaneously uh, just to have all your bases covered. Like, you, like we've heard from uh, Anonymous, 
you know, she hasn't gotten any uh, feedback from the hospital in, in spite of having reported it. And then there are probably reasons why she's not received feedback directly, because that would, you know, result in implications in terms of a legal of a legal battle. Um, but the the alternative or the other route to take would be to directly contact and report the matter to the Health Professions Council of South Africa. Now, um, this there's another one. This ATM says, um, uh, "Good evening, Patricia and Dr. Khan." I had a strange experience when I went for an STD check. I laid on the bed and the medical professional asked me to pull down my pants and then she started to stroke my penis. I felt so uncomfortable. Then she left and came back doing the same. I started to ejaculate. And then she said, you're okay. This is from Sean in Cape Town. Doesn't sound like standard practice. This is not how STDs are Thank you for sharing that, Sean. So, Patricia, you know, usually when we're looking at an STD, we're also looking for a discharge to be able to collect a sample to send for testing. And what should have been done and what is generally recommended, um, and this is something I do in my practice as well, is tell the patient every step of the way what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because the patient doesn't know what to expect. They don't know you know, you're at this position where you have more knowledge and you have the power of where this, you know, relationship or where this examination is going. Um, for all the patient knows, this is expected, you know, in this particular examination. So on, the, on both sides. So if, it's, if, it's, if you're the patient and you're not comfortable, then stop the practitioner right there and voice. You know, I'm not comfortable. Do you please mind telling me um, why we're we doing this particular procedure? What will be the result of the outcome? What, no, so why do you need to do it? You know, and is there a less invasive way to handle or address this? So you can ask those questions. It's difficult. It's difficult for a lot of people, but we ask people to please try their best to do this, so you don't find yourselves in this situation. You know, and and I hate the fact that we we have to tell patients to equip themselves like this um, because you're already trusting the position that the doctor or the healthcare professional is in. You're already trusting that they would conduct themselves with integrity. Mm. And as we know, that's not always the case. So if you're a healthcare professional, then what you should be doing is explaining every procedure to the person. So you'd explain step by step. So I, I need you to do this. And this is why I need you to do this. So I need you to undress because I'm going to have to conduct an internal examination or I'm going to have to collect a sample. Uh, so I'll have to collect a penile discharge. And this is what we're going to have to do to do this. So you get the person to undress. You tell them what they need, where the gown is that they can put on or if they need to cover themselves with a sheet or a towel. You exit so they can, they can do that in privacy. Uh, like your doctor, Patricia, told you, uh, to give the doctor a shout when they're ready, so then they'll let you know that they're ready for you to re-enter the room, and then you proceed. Again, when you proceed, you will say, I'm going to remove this towel, or, you know, I need a sample, or whatever it is that you're doing. You'll then explain step-by-step step exactly what you're going to do. If, for example, you're doing an ultrasound, 
or you need to use lubricant on your gel, on your gloves, you're going to say, this might be a little bit cold, you know, so please bear with me. Um, if you're uncomfortable or if this is painful, please tell me or tell me when to stop, you know, that, that kind of thing. So you've got to be very, very specific on your side as a healthcare professional to make sure that your patient is not just sitting or lying there entirely vulnerable and having no agency or authority in, in the situation. Look, could this not be the reason why so many men are a bit apprehensive to go to uh, clinics and doctors? Because firstly, by nature, men are not, you know, talkative. They wouldn't want to ask too many questions. And then you find a woman just, you know, not telling you uh, the the process, a a woman or female uh, professional. And they just do whatever they want to do. And you just have to walk out and not knowing whether you've been violated or not. So... I'm not sure if that's the reason men, you know, delay um, and put put off seeking help in terms of health seeking, you know. Um, but there are options. So there are men's health clinics that they can go to that are entirely attended to by men and male professionals. So there are those. And you can ask. So you can ask for a male prof- or men, uh, you know, a man uh, healthcare professional. You can ask. Yeah, but you know, in the in the public health system, it's not that easy. I know, mm. I know, Patricia. A long, long time ago, I had I gave birth to my daughter in a semi-private hospital. Um, you know, or it was actually a public health. It was a public hospital, but it had a semi-private facility. You know, you could pay a little, you know, extra. And it was back in the day, and I was still a student back then. And I had no medical aid, and I had that situation where post-birth. They had sent sent in a male intern to do my inter, uh, internal examination, and as soon as I saw him, I said, "Unfortunately, I said sorry, but I'm I did ask for um, a woman to see to me." And you know, first he was a little bit, a little bit offish, and he said, "Well, you, no, he, well, he said at first you should have asked." But I said, "May I please have a woman professional?" And he said, "You should have asked." And I said, "I did. I did ask. I stressed to see a female." And he walked out and he sent a woman through. But it's very difficult and you do feel vulnerable. But we're asking people to just, you know, um, master that courage so that, unfortunately, they have to, you know, take things into their own hands in that regard so that they can um, be safe and take precaution for their own selves. So it is uh, the onus. Well, the onus is upon us as uh you know, as patients. Much as I hate to say it, yes, some mm. of it is. Mm. We need we need to also make sure that we are not um, uh, made to feel vulnerable and uh, we don't play the victim, especially when it comes to choice. So we can vocalize and say, "No, I am not comfortable with you." Um, and also, we must also bear in mind that even if I'm a female, I might not be comfortable with another female who projects perhaps that they've got interest in me. So Absolutely. I must also be comfortable to say, no, I'm sorry, you complimenting me in this way. I'm not comfortable having you. Can I please have someone else attend to me? Absolutely. Or ask for a chaperone. You know, if you're not comfortable and you, you think, okay, I might be able to, you know, let this doctor examine me, but I'd like someone else in the room as a buffer almost, you know. So just to, to make sure that they are maintaining a certain standard and a certain conduct. So, Yeah. You can ask for someone to be in the room. Excellent. Let's go for a quick break. And when we come back, there's a voice note waiting for us. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Closet Conversations.
no these are really issues of national importance and for us to actually open the space to discuss them i think is really what's needed here um i think people are trusted and people do not report these incidences because these are figures of authority and anyone who's like a pastor i was like a teacher i was like a nurse a doctor etc anyone who holds that uh, you know trusted value in in the, in the community would, would then uh be met with uh, disbelief if you said that they did something to you as for myself i've once gone to um uh, a gp in east london uh, a few years back and they said no just take off everything and it was not even related to um anything that needed me to take something off I said take off everything so i mean i was shocked i was still a student then then i started taking off um, um my hoodie and now they said no man i'm joking keep them on can you imagine if maybe um they saw me as a, a victim they have a pattern of what victims look like i could have been victimized right there and then man it's terrible but it's an important topic but i think it's not reported or it goes unreported because these people are trusted yeah people are trusted in the medical uh health care uh, profession and it, it's a trust that is you know, it's not everyone, but few rotten potatoes are spoiling the entire bag. And it is a pity that our law enforcement is not harsh enough because we should be literally having that black book, that list of names of professionals who have been removed from being able to practice anywhere in the country or in the world based on the fact of their uh, misconduct. Let me go to another message here from an A-teamer. It says, I went to a gynae with my girlfriend, but I wasn't allowed to accompany her in. Is that normal, Dr. Khan? Well, that would depend on whether the girlfriend had a previous arrangement with the, gyne- with the gynae. So sometimes if there is suspicion of domestic violence or if the girlfriend has any previous arrangement, and you know, I, I don't know what the dynamics is there, but sometimes the, the doctor might ask for um, the, the partner to stay to step outside or make an excuse for them to step outside. So I don't know what the particular dynamics is in that situation, um, but generally, the patient is allowed to ask for a chaperone, and that chaperone can be their family member as well someone that they're comfortable with. So that, that shouldn't be a problem. Mm. Um, uh, Dr. Let's go back onto the previous voice note, yeah, go ahead. Um, Patricia. Definitely crossing boundaries there, hey? Mm-hmm. Definitely crossing sexual boundaries. It's just not even... even to say, oh, I was just joking. Yeah. What, is that? what sort of joke is that? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I think we should be able to to complain, even with the slightest things, because they could be... Um, Tendencies that will eventually escalate. Absolutely. Dr. Khan, how do we get in touch with you? Because, you know, if we have experienced um, such uncomfortable behavior, we are obviously now vulnerable. We need a doctor that we can trust, a doctor that we can come to for some, you know, uh, counseling. Maybe we need even some medical intervention to help us because maybe we were raped. How do we get in touch with you if we feel we are safe when we hear your voice? Patricia, 079-380-8449. And on social media, it's Dr. Mariam B. Khan. 
Dr. Khan, thank you so very much. You are based uh, in, in, in KZN, right? In KZN, Morningside, 407 Windermere Road, and I also do online consults. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much. Looking forward to another session, and I really do hope that our A-teamers are going to start holding healthcare professionals to account uh, for any bad conduct. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your platform, Patricia. It's doing wonders. Thank you for your time, Dr. Cannon. Have a very wonderful uh, three minutes left of the evening, but a beautiful morning. <laughs> Same to you. Hey, teamers, uh, it's time for us to leave you with a beautiful song as we uh, gather strength. And uh, that strength is for us uh, to be able to take the long walk to freedom. May goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success.